Welcome to Behind the Screens. This is a podcast series made by Energy Trading House Danske Commodities, where we invite you into our offices and onto our trading floors. My name is Jens Østergaard, and with me in the studio today is our head of power market analysis, Martin Juhl. In the Nordic countries, especially Norway, Sweden, they have a lot of hydro reservoirs where they can store energy in, in their water reservoirs. In most of other countries, we don't have that possibility. Uh, so we also need some kind of energy source that we can save for the days when there's no solar and no wind. And a quantitative analyst in our gas trading unit, Mikkel Jensen. I think that even if you're not involved with the commodity space, I think you heard quite a few different versions of why we are currently seeing a bit of an energy crisis uh, globally, uh, mostly fueled by a, a very tight gas market. We are going to talk about the role of gas in the energy transition. Normally, when we talk about the energy transition, we are talking about power, about wind turbines and solar panels. So where does gas fit in and why is it important to talk about? You'll find out in a moment. But first, Martin and Miguel, you come from uh, two different units in our organization. Could you briefly tell us what it is you do? Maybe you go first, Martin. Yes, sure. Uh, well, my name is Martin and I head the team of analysts that we have in uh, power markets, doing all the power trading from uh, uh, the trading from the day ahead, uh, several years into the future. And we in the team of analysts support our day-to-day trading, but also uh, the more long-term perspectives of, uh, of power. So uh, also looking into to the role of, of, of gas in the, in the transition. Thank you, Martin. And uh, you, Mingle? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I currently assume sort of a, a hybrid role in, in gas, where my main focus at the moment is to uh, manage an outright uh, mandate, so trading uh, mostly the front month. And then uh, other than that, I... Um, i manage the rebuild of our fundamental modeling setup uh, with a special emphasis on uh, on gas for power consumption. Thank you very much. And uh, let's dive into uh, today's uh, topic. When we talk about uh, gas, maybe we should start with uh, how gas has traditionally or historically been used as an uh, energy source. Yeah, I can uh, kick off here. So I would say mainly uh, th- three elements for the energy uh, heating, which is, I believe, the, the biggest uh, element. And then uh, industry use for many various uh, production of chemicals and so on. And then uh, obviously for, for power production as well. Yeah, and I can just add that that's exactly what I would have said as well. And especially in Europe, uh, the heating parts or what we call LSZs, so the local distribution companies buying for small uh, residential consumers or small commercial consumers as well, is the is the biggest portion of, of gas demand in, in Europe. But that's different elsewhere. So in the US and in Asia, you would have uh, a larger portion of of, uh, of gas for power demand. Maybe maybe to add also um, on natural gas as a consumption, so we use it as an energy source, but also as a, as a feedstock for other types of production. So a lot in in uh, ammonia production used for fertilizers, and also a lot in food production. Many places where you don't think about the use, it's actually being used. Now I said in in the beginning that it's important to talk about gas when we talk about uh, the energy transition. But what role is it that gas is playing in the uh, in the transition towards more green energy? 
Yeah, so if uh, I should kick that off, then there's no doubt that the cleanest form of energy comes from renewable sources. But the problem with that is that the output from the most dominant renewable sources, namely uh, solar and, and wind, uh, is highly weather dependent and therefore quite volatile and also quite correlated uh, in different parts of the world. And then to ensure security of supply, we'll need to have a stable base load supply from a more conventional source. And there, I guess, is just the cleanest form of the of the usual suspects in the conventional power supply. Mm. I can only add to the yeah volatility of of uh, wind and solar production, but also the fact that we we don't have a in most of Europe a very good way of uh, storing electricity. So uh, in the Nordic countries, especially Norway, Sweden, they have a lot of uh, hydro reservoirs where they can store energy in in their water reservoirs. Uh, in most of other countries, especially Denmark, we don't have that possibility. Uh, so we also need some kind of energy source that we can save for the days when there's no solar and no wind. And gas is, to some extent, a, a storable energy source. Uh, you already touched uh, upon this a little bit, but uh, why does gas play a more prominent role than oil and, and coal? Yeah, as Miguel, uh, you uh, mentioned, then, then gas uh, does release less carbon when, when burned than, than coal or oil does. Uh, so for sure, it's a cleaner uh, type of fossil fuel. But you could also say that it's an energy source that's being produced closer to home, so to speak. So um, obviously, as we know, the the North Sea is a big reservoir of, of gas uh, coming from Norway. And also most of the gas that we import into Europe is coming from Russia, which is uh, relatively close compared to a lot of the, the coal production and, and oil production we normally uh, look for when importing energy. And then gas, at least for power production, is more of a flexible type of, of fuel. So uh, gas-fired power plants are more flexible and are able to to ramp up and down quicker and more frequently than coal-burning units. Um, you know that from your own garden grill at home that you can quickly get a fire going with, with the gas uh, quicker than with coal. So that's also why it's, uh, it's a good fit for um, a high renewable system. Yeah, and I think also uh, if we look to Asia, there's also a lot of talk about uh, sort of the air pollution that they experience in some of their last city- cities uh, where they use a lot of coal. Uh, and I think that one thing is emitting less uh, CO2, which of course is the main thing, but it's also, especially in Asia, especially around China, trying to phase out uh, coal and phase in uh, um, gas uh, for, for cleaner uh, airspace. Now, the price of gas and the price of power, they are pretty uh, connected or uh, dependent on each other. Why is that? Yeah, um, so obviously uh, some of the gas-fired power plants, they need uh, natural gas to either run a gas turbine or to heat water, and then you run a turbine on the steam from that heated water. Um, And you need to source the gas, and there's a, a liberalized market for that, and you pay the price, so to speak, and that goes directly into the cost of producing power. Uh, and we can see that the the power markets react very uh, efficiently to to those uh, price changes. So it's it's simply the cost of producing electricity as a commodity. Absolutely, and I think I, w- I would like to add to that that of course, without getting too technical, it also of course depends on the relative moneyness of the different conventional sources. So, for instance, sometime like last year where we saw gas prices relatively cheap, that also meant that we saw a lot of gas plants producing power. Um, and there we, we see uh, more hours settling in gas plants and therefore also a, a closer correlation, I would say, between gas and, and, and power prices. Whereas in other times uh, when gas can be uh, close to completely priced out uh, with the high gas prices that we've seen lately, then some of that correlation can in periods of time break down a, a little bit. 
And I would also like to add that it also runs in the other direction as well. So from my perspective on gas, uh, for instance, if like last year, we saw COVID uh, restrictions all over the place, lowering the, the demand for power, and that goes directly over to the, to the gas demand as well. And also in countries where we have very little gas production because of uh, the electricity markets in Europe being fairly well interconnected, you can have uh, countries like uh, Denmark where we have a quite limited capacity of gas-fired power plants. We actually have high dependency on those price developments because we import a lot of power from predominantly Germany and the Netherlands that, that has a, a sizable uh, gas fleet. So because of the complexity of the electricity market, you also get uh, yeah, effects in, in Denmark on, on gas prices. This connection between uh, the, the price of, of, of gas and uh, of power, how do we handle that in our trading uh, units here in uh, dense commodities? Yeah, Miguel, you mentioned a little bit about fundamental modeling, and that's basically uh, the way to do it. So, so we know a lot of these causalities, and we can, uh, we can model that behavior So what we try to do is play power plant owner and expecting his behavior and his costs associated with that behavior and and scale that up to the European uh, energy market. And that way we can do aggregates on how we believe the different markets will will price its uh, output for power and, and then get a good idea about how these things interact. Yeah, and I can add a, bit, a little bit of flavor from our side in the gas unit. Uh, if you can touch back on these three sources of demand that we talked about earlier, then traditionally the two sources, so local domestic uh, consumption for heating and uh, industrial consumption, have been relatively price insensitive, meaning that the only uh, lever that gas c- could turn to on the demand side was gas for power. So that also means in our case, we use gas for power model that we have built in, in connection with, uh, with the power unit to see sort of how much gas gas we would need to price out to balance the gas market. So let's say we have too little gas in in the balance uh, and we can see that uh, by gas prices going up, all else equal 10 euro per megawatt hour, we can price out uh, X amounts of gas for power consumption thereby balancing our market. And that helps us formulate strategies and set uh, fundamental uh, levels in our now trading in, in the gas unit. Now, we've seen uh, over the past months very high prices on energy, and that leads me to the next question here is what kind of issues are we currently seeing in relation to the production and, and supply of gas in Europe especially? Yeah, I can I can kick that off. I think that even if you're not involved with the commodity space, I think you heard quite a few different versions of why we are currently seeing a bit of an energy crisis uh, globally, uh, mostly fueled by a, a very tight gas market. And for me, I think it's important to underline that it's a global problem and that there's no one factor to blame for where we are now. Um, first up, I think that the economic recovery with Chinese growth in the driver's seat and a higher than expected call on liquefied natural gas from the US has left the euro dried up. Um, to that, we have seen uh, a quite long winter uh, stretching all the way into April and then pushing sort of the injection season, so injecting gas into our storages uh, well into April. Other than that, uh, we have also seen heavy maintenance on the Norwegian continental shelf and the UK continental shelf as well over the summer. Uh, and we also had a drought in Brazil where they rely uh, quite heavily on uh, on hydropower. So yeah, uh, a mixed match of things uh, causing this situation. Uh, and then, of course, it's also 
difficult to talk about uh, this situation without mentioning the, especially the Russian flows into Northwestern Europe uh, has been lower than in previous years and also lower than expected. And I believe that, they, that the Russians are delivering on their contractual obligations, but it has meant that the gas from operator storages in Europe are unseasonably dry. And that leaves Europe with a bit of security of supply question at the very end of the withdrawal season, uh, especially yeah, if we see uh, a cold winter this winter. That sounds more or less like a, like a perfect storm. Is this something that we are going to have to get used to in the future? Yeah, you could say uh, there has been also uh, some years leading up to this. Um, so some years ago, uh, Germany decided to phase out their nuclear fleet and are uh, in the process of doing so. Um, we have in Europe targeted a full phase out of coal and are uh, in the process of doing that in, in Germany. Uh, in, in UK and France, um, many places. So this also makes us more dependent on other types of, of fuel, which uh, gas is then taking over for the removed coal and nuclear fleet. So we're also putting uh, our eggs a little bit more in one basket and uh, not diversifying, the, you could say, overall energy mix in Europe. So there's also a little bit of a lead up into this. And I would say going forward, you would need to diversify a little bit the sourcing of this. Um, and for sure, LNG is, is still in its infancy, I would say. Uh, a lot of investments still needs to be done there. And long-term relations with suppliers of that uh, being US, Australia, uh, Qatar, that Europe uh, finds a good solution with those uh, suppliers. So, so we have some, some flexibility if we were to hit a, a cold winter in uh, the years to come. So there are solutions to the issues that we are seeing right now. Yeah, I would say so. But I also support uh, Martin's statement. I think that there is a bit of a structural problem, especially in the very near term where uh, I don't know if you can say there's a disproportionate installation of renewables uh, with the phase out of conventional sources, but at least it leaves us very weather reliant. So if you see cold years, wind uh, waning, etc., we'll just have a very last draw uh, on gas when uh, we don't necessarily have the, the infrastructure in LNG or so to, to make sure that we don't uh, end up in a, between a rock and a hard place like, uh, like now. And then uh, the even more ambitious and, and maybe the really long-term solution is to find other sources of, of storable energy. And there's many approaches being being discussed and hydrogen being an uh, obvious choice, but there's still a lot of work to be done on infrastructure and also on, say, economic incentives to invest in hydrogen because it is a very expensive uh, and unproven technology so far. So, so for sure there needs to be a very ambitious plan from the EU and, and the different nations to invest in, in this technology. Uh, but I think that what we've seen the past couple of months can be a little bit of a sneak peek into the crystal ball to see what could happen going forward if we don't find an alternative source. So where does that leave uh, gas in the coming years? What role is gas going to play in this? Yeah, so I think in my mind, there's no doubt that gas will play a quite uh, prominent role, uh, especially here in the near term. I think that we'll see gas into a sort of a, a golden age, I would call it, uh, in the very near term, where we'll see a quite a dramatic phase out of uh, nuclear, both in Germany, uh, in Belgium, and coal and lignite as well, especially in Germany. But there's also the other side of the coin that uh, if we want to invest now in gas plants, in, in gas infrastructure, that also means uh, locking in emissions because there's no denying that burning gas uh, is related to emitting carbon. And I think in the long term, uh, we need to look for a zero carbon emission solution, be that batteries, hydrogen, uh, whatever. But I definitely think that we'll see gas experience a golden age and then wane towards yeah, the latter part of the energy transition, so to speak. 
You've been listening to Behind the Screens, a podcast series made by Energy Trading House Danske Commodities. My name is Jens Østergaard, and with me in the studio today was Head of Power Market Analysis, Martin Juhl, and Quantitative Analyst in our Gas Trading Unit, Mikkel Jensen. Be sure to catch the other episodes of our podcast series where you normally listen to podcasts. <laughs>